Welcome to the Pony Pod, brought to you by The Daily Campus. I'm Lauren Rangel, and I write for the DC. This episode is a part of our series called 365 Days and Counting, How the Pandemic Reshaped Us. Over two and a half million people have died from COVID-19 across the globe. In the U.S., that number is surpassing half a million. Each one represents a human, but more importantly, someone's mom, a son, an aunt, a best friend. The numbers are grim, to say the least, but with them comes a reminder of how important human relationships are. My name is Zoha. Um, I am a senior at SMU, and I am majoring in corporate communications and public affairs with a minor in advertising. I see every relationship that I have in my life as a lot more valuable, even people I don't speak to. When the world shut down, many of us found ourselves spending much more time with those we were in lockdown with, like our family. Zoha did too, but her story starts on the other side of the world. You were on a pilgrimage in Saudi Arabia with your family whenever COVID first started getting serious. Can you tell me more about that? Yeah. So we did go to Saudi Arabia. um, And, you know, at that time, we booked in January. So no one was really talking about it. No one, you know, we heard about it, but it was more so, oh, it's in China. It's not really going to come here. Um, So we went to Saudi Arabia and uh, we performed pilgrimage and we were the last group to perform pilgrimage. Um, Everyone there was already wearing masks. For some reason, something struck my sister where she was like, let's take face masks Um, just because it is another country. And actually people do wear face masks in general in other countries. To us, it's foreign. But actually, if you go to places like China and Middle East, just because of the climate change, Um, A lot of people when they're traveling, they like to wear face masks um, just so it doesn't like, you know, destroy the skin and whatnot. Um, So we were already wearing face masks. Keep in mind, I went with my entire family. We basically never take family trips because my grandparents are so old. It's really hard for my parents to just leave them at home and be like, okay, well, I'm going on a trip with, you know, my children. Um, So it was amazing that we were able to do that because I have not taken many family trips with my parents. It's usually just me and my sisters or I go with cousins or friends. Um, So it was my parents, it was my aunt um, and she's half blind. So keep in, imagine that on top of my 87 year old grandpa who, um, you know, he was in a wheelchair the entire time even though he could walk, um, it was just safer that way. And then my sister, her two kids, Um, and the rest of my siblings. So it was a total of like 11, 12 of us halfway around the world. We went to Medina first. um, That's the beginning of the pilgrimage. And then we uh, went to Mecca is the main part where it's that black cube um, shrine. So we performed pilgrimage. It took us about two to three hours um, and we performed it around two or 3 a.m. And after that, we were so tired, you know, we fell asleep, we woke up to like a thousand text messages of all of our family members from America who were texting us. They're like, hey, like, they're sending us all these like, you know, COVID links and like fake news, like half of it was fake news, but it was like crazy stories on COVID. And at that time, it was coming from Iran, and it was coming from Italy. Iran was only a four, it was a four hour car ride from where we were. So and we had already heard that COVID cases were in Harem, which is where you perform pilgrimage. Um, but the Saudi government wasn't telling us because it, it's a pretty 
they're a pretty um, corrupt government. So um, that was already scary enough. So we were all trying to hop on our flight back. My family was originally going to Pakistan right after. I didn't go anyways because I had to come back to school to take classes. Um, I came back and I ended up not even taking classes because SMU was like, you have to quarantine for 14 days since you went out of country. So I could have gone with my family, but I didn't. Um, And keep in mind when I traveled back, I was the first person Um, I went to Chicago airport. I was the only human being there wearing a face mask. No one else was wearing a face mask. So this is when things were getting bad. There was no lockdown yet. Um, So I remember I was wearing face mask. I took it off because I felt kind of embarrassed because no one else was wearing face mask. So everyone was looking at me like I was foreign or something. So I took it off. Um, And then my family came two weeks after. So then they made it home safely as well. But It's a crazy story, but I, you know, wanted to make it a point because performing pilgrimage as a Muslim is one of our five pillars that we should work towards fulfilling before, you know, we leave the planet. So that being one of the most important, important pillars um, happening right before COVID is insane. I mean, that's it's pilgrimage is never going to be the same. And the fact that I was able to do that with my family is on a whole different level. What was your experience like living at home with your family? So I have lived with my family my entire life. Um, Like my sisters have gone on to off to college outside of Dallas. Um, One of my sisters is married. So I'm really the only person in the family to have lived at home for a whole 22 years. So when, you know, COVID came around, quarantine came around, it wasn't really that big of a change for me, just because I've lived with my family my entire life. Um, And it's really, it's crazy when people say like, oh, like I have to go home to my parents, I have to go home to my family, like it sucks, I miss my friends and stuff. because I, I guess I just have a different relationship with my family and with like, you know, my grandparents, where I'd rather choose to hang out with my family than my friends. So it hasn't really been a big change for me. Um, one of the things so recently, um, during midterms, my dad was diagnosed with cancer, you would think that, you know, the only C word that you're afraid of is COVID, but you forget that there's all these other diseases in the world like cancer. I've realized I was getting a little crazy being at home before my dad was diagnosed because I was like, oh my God, my sister flew in because she's no longer living in California. She was like, I'm just going to save on rent. I'm just going to live at home. So it's more people, you know, I haven't lived with my sister in six years. So it's like, it's a lot more, you know, just adding one more person to the household. So everyone's working from home. Um, You know, my dad took off from work. So he wasn't working. And it was just crazy at home because, you know, it's like too many people. It was just getting crazy at one point. And I guess my dad's diagnosis was in a way of like a blessing and a reminder that like, hey, like it is going to be crazy. It, it, It gets crazy when you're around family. But at the end of the day, you have to remember that these are the people that mean the most to you. And it's just one of those things that we should not forget the value of those around us and the value of meaningful relationships and the value of sitting next to someone and speaking to them face to face. Once you came back to Dallas and you were staying at home with your family, how many people were in your house? 
Um, oftentimes my niece and nephews come over as well, but without them, um, let's see, three, four, seven or eight. That's a lot. (laughs) Yeah, it's a lot. (laughs) Of course you don't live with your entire family. Do you miss not being able to be with your entire family anymore? I do. Yeah. Um, I mean, everyone still goes out and hangs out with each other, but for me, it's different because my dad's cancer. We can't always just go out everywhere. We're vaccinated now, so we'll start seeing more people, um, and we'll probably see family pretty soon. Like, we're doing a drive-by for my dad's birthday, and we haven't seen these cousins in a year. And my family is so close to our cousins to the point where we'd see each other every week. So we went from seeing each other every week to not seeing each other in a year because so much has happened and we have to be so be careful. We have to be so careful with everything. So yeah, I do. I do miss seeing my cousins. I do miss seeing my extended family. Um, it, it sucks, but you know, you got to do what you got to do. Like it's, these are crazy. These are scary times. Like these are dangerous times. So, you know, that's why FaceTime is built. That's why zoom is built. That's why we're able to do this now. Um, obviously the, it's a different, just a different feeling and a different presence when you're in front of each other face to face. But this is, I mean, we should still be blessed that we could see each other's faces at least. Um, even if it is maybe like distantly from like your door or something, I do miss them a lot and it, it sucks and it's hard, but you have to do what you have to do for your family and for yourself. So, yeah. What did COVID-19 teach you about relationships? I, I think I just see them as more valuable. I see, I see every relationship that I have in my life as a lot more valuable, even though, even those that I don't, even people I don't speak to. Um, it's, it's really made me realize how life short or, or how short life is. Um, the pandemic just has really made me realize how short life is and that you know, you have your ups and downs with people, but once someone is gone, they're gone. That's it. You can't go back in time. We don't have, you know, a time machine to change. What ifs, you know, you, before the pandemic, it was like, oh, what if that, what if this, should I call this person? Probably not. Like, I don't like them. Now I rethink that. And I'm like, should I call this person? Probably. Yeah. Like I need to check on this person, even if I I don't like them. Um, again, you don't know how life is really short. You might die from pan. You might die from COVID. You might die from something else. Um, and I think that's, it's made a lot of us realize how short life is and that we need to consistently check up on each other, even if we don't like each other, because you don't want to leave wondering what if, you know, what if I had checked up on this person? What if I had spoken to them? What if I had at least said hello? Or even if you called them and you're like, I don't like you, but like, you know, at least you would have heard their voice. Um, so yeah, it's, it's definitely made me realize that life is so damn short and you should consistently check up on people because you, again, what if, Zoha got to be with her family on the other side of the world and eventually with them back at home in Dallas. But some international students found themselves in the exact opposite situation. My name is Shalom Fan. 
and I'm a sophomore studying mechanical engineering and math. And I'm originally from Yaoundé, Cameroon, which is located in Central Africa. Instead of a full house of family and friends, he found himself living on campus, which was nearly deserted. Tell me about the situation you were in whenever the COVID outbreak first started happening. So when it first started happening, I was like, I was really unsure about everything because I was in that time I was living on campus and everything that I know um, was just like going away. Like all the students who are sent home, all my friends who are like international students as well, they're going back home. So I was kind of like part of this minority small group that was left on campus and living on campus. And I was taking my classes from the dorms. It was kind of weird seeing all the usually busy dorm being like empty and you're the only one in the whole floor and the campus is a ghost town. And that was just, um, it was like that, like for the remaining of the semester for me, I just kind of had my class on campus in dorms. And over the summer, that's when like a big question really came up because uh, I didn't know where I could continue living. Uh, I had to either to live on the dorms or like uh, move out of campus. And my family didn't want me to live on dorm because like they were trying to regroup all the students who were left into a single dorm. So that just like increased the chance of getting like um, infected. So I opted for a second option and it was stressful because I never did it before. And I had to find a housing outside of campus, contacting like rent and all kinds of things like that. Why did you choose not to go back to South Africa? Um, that was, uh, so over the summer I had a job at the orientation team. So that was like a reason like I didn't plan to move to go back. And my plan was always like, oh, this thing will be done by summer, hopefully. And it would not be long. So by winter I should be home. And yeah. So is the rest of your family still there? So yeah, my mom, my dad, and my brother, they're still in uh, Cameroon. And uh, I keep in contact with them as much as I can via like uh, calls and video chat. But I haven't been able to go back for like a year and a half or now. Is it hard being away from them for that long? Yeah, it's definitely hard because you don't have that support from your family. Like uh, also, like I didn't have any support from families and friends because like everyone I knew was either home or like um, away. So I was kind of like by my own and I had to like constantly calling friends and calling my family to have the support. But sometimes when it's just too much, you cannot have that physical, like, uh, how do you say, comfort with being like next to your family and friend. What about now? SMU is doing flex now, so there are a lot more students on campus. Has that been a better situation for you? Um, I would say it's definitely better because I can see some of my friends and then sometimes we'll hang out. But also, I would say it's half of my friends are on campus and half of them are not. So a lot of my international friends are still like back home and um, I haven't seen them for a while. And because of the time difference, I don't get to talk to them a lot. And SME doing the flex is good to uh, maintain current relationship. It's hard to form new ones because sometimes I will go to class and um, my, how do you say, the person sitting next to me will be like a row away. And I cannot just like yell just to have a quick conversation or over Zoom, like everybody just listen to class. You will not have like side conversation over Zoom and that's just awkward and weird. So it's just really challenging to like form new bonds. And um, 
obviously a lot of people have different feelings about COVID. Like some of them are more relaxed, some are more strict. So you also don't know like their com comfort level. And so it's really hard to like, meet new people. What do you think the pandemics taught you about relationships? Over the pandemic, I reflected a lot about like not taking everything for granted. Cause like um, when everything was normal, um, sometimes we'd not see friends for like a month or two. We'd say, okay, we can see each other next week. It's not a big deal. But then for now during the pandemic, every time I see a friend who is free, like I always want to hang out like now, like as soon as possible. Cause you never know like what's the next time you're going to see each other. A lot of my friends, uh, yeah, a majority of them, like last met, last time we met, we never thought that that would be the last time. And now it's been like a year apart and we occasionally call, but it hasn't been able to see each other. Do you plan on going back home anytime soon? So right now I've been talking to my family. We're planning to go back home over the summer. And um, my brother is planning to go to university like next fall. So I'll maybe be able to go back to see him before he go. But everything right now is like in the air because... Uh, I cannot buy any tickets. I cannot like get any visa just because like nothing has really been like lifted yet. But that's like a plan in the back of my mind for now. When you eventually get to go back and see them, what are you most looking forward to? Uh, I'm really excited about, uh, I do miss my parents, but I'm really excited about the food back home. Cause like I couldn't find any African food like in Dallas. And that's something I've been craving a lot. And also just like, like having, my brother there and just like playing with him and then like uh, joking around because uh, uh, growing up we've been like together like all the time and uh, this is like the longest period of time we've been apart so even though like growing up we like had fights like uh, argue but now like I actually like appreciate more our relationship and want to like take a this event take advantage of this opportunity to just kind of like hang out with him and then bond with him and then just chat about like how he's been doing and his plan, things like that. When you meet somebody new in the future, do you think you're going to take a different approach to relationships? Uh, in terms of interacting, I'm more up to uh, in-person interaction. So instead of calling my friends like everyone often, I'll probably like offer, let's go grab lunch together. Let's go have like, take a walk, something like that. Just to, like being able to have that physical interaction, which has been deprived for so long due to COVID. So that would be like a big change for me. One year after the start of the pandemic, society is inching closer to that normalcy so many of us desire. The CDC released new guidelines for fully vaccinated people recently. Those that are fully vaccinated don't have to wear a mask or stay six feet apart when visiting others indoors that are also fully vaccinated. They can do the same with those that are unvaccinated and at a low risk for severe disease. Stay tuned for more episodes of 365 Days and Counting How the Pandemic Reshaped Us as we reflect on the pandemic one year later. Next week, we're talking about disparities through the lens of COVID-19. What I've learned about race through COVID is that you have to be willing as a person to give up your ideas to give up what you've been taught. You have to surrender that in order to fully be able to change. That's phase four. Thanks for listening to The Pony Pod. Special thanks to Abby Cole for producing our music and follow us on Instagram at SMU Daily Campus and Twitter and Facebook at The Daily Campus. Until next time, pony up. <laughs>